All right, guys. Welcome back to Spoiler Country. <laughs> like, what are you looking for? Come on in. I'm looking for everybody else. Come on in and have some fun. Fun. We're here for Jim Shooter Part Two. Yeah, man. Two of three. It's gonna be amazing. Yeah. You know, you know what my favorite part of that first episode was? What's that? When he points to the Captain America behind the Jack Kirby original Captain America behind him, and he's sitting there the whole interview just showing off behind his head. That's just amazing. Yeah. That's just amazing. And this guy's got stories for days, man. Yeah. Stories for days. And you know what I love about him is the candor. Oh yeah. Just complete honest if he doesn't like it he's telling you he doesn't like it and i don't think he cares about what people think about him i don't think that he ever cared about that yeah i mean the guy's been doing comics since he was in his teens i don't think but, he ever cared about that but more important than stan lee real close real close I mean, the close is in a loss i mean guys it's guys, different stan lee more for the marketing aspect and, and oh, bringing yeah. it jim for the artist and the writer's rights oh dude they, and they talk about that on this episode as well. So, Perfect. Well, should we get into it? Let's get into it. Roll it. Spaghetti. While you were working at Marvel, what would you say your overarching philosophy was in how to work with your writers, work with your team? Was there overall philosophy as well in how to also express your ideas as a company to potential future readers? Well, I mean, I inherited Marvel, so I inherited a lot of the creative culture of Marvel, you know, uh, doing it Marvel style, which is the writer writes a plot, the artist draws the story from the plot, basically telling a silent movie. And then the writer goes back in and fills in the dialogue, as opposed to DC, where the writer writes a full script, he tells the artist exactly what he wants to the artist to draw the cop, the dialogue is already there. You know, so the it's a different process. It, it, it makes the artist much more involved. If you have a great artist like Steve Ditko or Jack Kirby, who's, who's a storyteller, who, who's a cinematographer, you know, that works great. If you got a new kid, maybe not so well. Mm. But anyway, so I inherited that and I worked with it. But my philosophy was very simple. First of all, tell good stories and tell them well. And that to me has been the recipe for success for storytellers for the last 40,000 years. It will be for the next 40,000 <laughs> years. And so that was my, my, my first thing is, is, is that. And, and of course, there's all these corollaries. I wanted better art. I wanted quality work. I wanted people to, to pour their hearts into it. We had some people who were kind of hacking, you know, mm. and, and, and also people who just weren't up to the task, whose chief qualification is that they'd read a thousand comic books. You know what I mean? <laughs> And, and never, and, and almost no one had been trained, you know, and, and then on top of that, my philosophy was, you know, play fair and try hard. I, I, I wanted to make it fair for creators, uh, make it, make it a good situation for creators. I couldn't change work for hire. They wouldn't let me, no way, but I could make it good work for hire and, 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 and nice work for hire. And also I could introduce a line of creator-owned books, which I did. So, so anyway, I was just trying to, you know, make a make it the situation I would want if I were a, a, a freelance creator. You know, as a matter of fact, sometimes after things really got going and everybody's doing so well, I kept thinking I'm sitting on the wrong side of the desk. But, but you know, I mean, it's that's 
you know, that's very naive and simplistic and childlike philosophy. Play fair, try hard, you know. But I, I, you know, I, I didn't. That that was my philosophy. I just, I thought, you know, try, try your best, do it right, and and then see what happens. And what happened was, it we took off. I mean, I did a lot of managerial cleanup. There was some, there was some corruption, people stealing. There was a lot of just unprofessional behavior and poor organization. I mean, there was no organization. I mean, I, I came in there and fortunately I've been trained at DC about what an organization should be. I, did, I didn't like some of the things that I learned at DC, so I didn't do those. <laughs> I, did, I did it, you know, organization my way. And, and it worked. I mean, it, it worked really well. I mean, for a while there, we were flying high, you know, and, and the only thing that interfered with us is when the six guys who owned Cadence Industries, which owned Marvel, decided to sell the company. And then they were suddenly uninterested in anything good for Marvel. They just wanted to line their pockets. So, interestingly enough, when you're talking about artists being more important to the story process in the Marvel style, because artists are very visual and is there ever a concern of artists in that style focusing more on visual and not having or really thinking about the story elements that are needed there? Absolutely. That was the major problem is that, is that, you know, these guys forgot what business they were in. You know, we're telling stories here. And that seems like a simple concept, but but it wasn't for some people. I mean, they're, they're, they, they're kind of drawing what they wanted to draw with reckless disregard for what the story is. Mm. And so, but I you see the thing is I, I was preaching that, but I got great people working with me. I, through, I, by hook or by crook, I got Archie Goodwin, the best of all time. I got Louise Simonson and I got uh, Roger Stern for a while. I got Larry Hama. We had people who could do it, who understood it, who could teach it. We're all saying the same things. I didn't invent anything. I was just passing on the wisdom of the ancients. Well, I've managed to gather some other people who had met a few ancients along the way or were just, you know, super smart or I don't know what. But, <laughs> but they, they, you know, then, then it's all of us talking this stuff and trying to convince people, no, it's about the story. Tell the story. And, you know, you work with Larry Hammer for a while. You learn to tell a story. And Archie Goodwin, too. I mean, you walk out, you spend 10 minutes in a room with Archie Goodwin, you walk out a lot smarter. He, he's, you know, I just had great people and we, we they bought into my philosophy and, and they, they it, it kind of matched up with their own. Mm. They'd been places before where they were, you know, they didn't have that benefit. They, they weren't working in a place conducive to doing what they well now they were and and now they 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 just took off man i mean they they we had great people and they did great things not everything was great we screwed up but but not not that often we had some just wonderful things which to this day to this day i get interviewed about the phoenix saga <laughs> <laughs> I get interviewed about the corvac corvac saga and, and yeah and if, Talk about Walt Simonson's Thor and Frank Stairdoval and, and and Claremont and whoever's X Men and yeah and all the rest of it. You know, it's like you know just just some some outstanding things. I think that people, you know, we we poured our hearts into it and and people responded. As someone who is also a great writer as yourself, is it frustrating to? read stories that they were writing for you knowing that you probably could write the stories better was is that like a frustrating thing as an editor-in-chief 
Well, it wasn't that I could write it better. I mean, I mean, I, I've tried to respect everybody's style and what they did. I mean, I wouldn't write the way Walt Simonson wrote, but who's going to complain about it? Right, right, you know? right. I mean, it's great. It's just different than what I would do. I, I, I didn't want anybody to write like me. I never told anybody write like me. But what would frustrate me is is kind of the technical glitches, the kind of the things where, where the guy just failures of craft, which for some reason got through the editors. They weren't all Archie Goodwin and Louise Simonson <laughs> and Larry. I mean, we had, a new, we had some new guys and they had to learn, you know? And, and we kept growing. So we kept getting more new guys. And every once in a while, one of the old guys would leave. Like Louise, you know, she was married. She decided to move upstate to do freelance. Fine. Lucky there, I had Ann Nascenti, who Louise had trained to replace mm. her. Thank God. <laughs> and, and, but you know, you, you know, you, you, you get the new guys and some of them were terrific. Bob Budiansky was amazing. Mark Gruenwald was, was, was good. Uh, was great. Carl Potts came in and he was terrific. He replaced Al Milgram, who was great. And then he, pretty soon he was, Larry Hama helped him a lot. He, Larry Hama was kind of coaching him. I, I didn't even know that at the time, but Carl picked up on it. He's a brilliant guy. And, and, and before you know it, he's teaching everybody. And he handled more submissions than anyone. And, you know, and we had Jim Salikoff. I keep forgetting to mention him for some reason, but Jim Salikoff, really brilliant man. And he was, he was good. So we had, uh, you know, we're trying to get these guys to understand the craft, not do it this way or do it that way. Like I said, I was kind of stuck with the Marvel style, but I was all right with that. But trying to get them to understand we're telling stories, this is how you do it, you know, explaining to them, not the formula, no. Explaining to them the concepts, the basics. It's you, you, what you're doing is you're taking them on a journey. Better be a good one, mm. okay? Interesting along the way and have a, reason for doing it it's mark twain said it has to you know be worth well he didn't these aren't his words but be worth the time that people spend and you know i, I so so okay everybody's buying that they made fun of me because i'm always citing mark twain and shakespeare and stuff <laughs> you know but i said no no we, we have to take it seriously mm. anybody who says oh it's just a comic book get rid of him yeah you know, we, we don't I agree. Him. anybody who's not trying hard and anybody who doesn't want it to, to be talked about 30 years later then we don't need them, you know? Yes. All right, sorry, rant. Sorry. No, 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 I agree with you. I mean, <laughs> someone who is not only a lover of comic books and a someone who attempts to be a comic book writer and an English teacher, I mean, yeah, I mean, comic books, the basic idea of a story has been around since the ancient Greek days of the Greek dramas. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, it, you even if you're writing a comic book, no matter how childish of a work you think you're doing, you still need to view it seriously. Well, it's that just like, matters. You know, I mean, think about Walt Disney when he was doing those those wonderful animated cartoons like Pinocchio and mm. and, and Snow White. And, you know, I, I, I mean, do you think he took them seriously? I do. I do, they're, too. They're cartoons for kids. But, man, they had emotion and power and they 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 they, they made it worth your time to be there. They they, yes. uh, they they took you on a journey. They were great. OK, if he can do it, you know, why shouldn't we? And, right. and also, if you look at the at the the comics that Disney published back then, through Gold Key, I think I think they were Dell, Gold Key, Whitman. That's all the same people. But if you look at those comics, look at those Carl Barks, Uncle Scrooge's. It's Carl Barks is genius. Uncle Scrooge is a simple cartoon character, but boy, some of those stories just rocked your world. They were great, and and you know, and here I am talking about them fifty years later. 
and anyway, and I, uh, I, I, I think personally, I think you're right 100%. I do agree that, I mean, you're if you're a writer of a, of a comic book, you are the steward of a character that's been around sometimes for decades. People oh, have but, expectations. People have personal affection for these characters. You can't waste the opportunity that you have in writing them. You're actually giving a speech sort of just like one I gave to some guy. I, you know, he, he guy with a big ego, and, and, you know, he was good, but he had a huge ego, and, you know, and, and he's doing that, you know, he wanted to do something stupid, I don't know. And I said, you know, and the editor told him no, and then he demanded that, you know, come to me. And so, so he's in front of a bunch of people. He's like, but I'm so-and-so, you know, mm. I, I don't give a damn who you are, you know, <laughs> this yeah. is bigger than you. And it's bigger than me. I'm trying to think. We have responsibility and honor on the line. We're entrusted and we need to do the job right. Well, he wasn't pleased, but I don't. Give it a <laughs> so, but but we, you know, we we we. That's how we felt. That's how we all felt. And and when the occasional guy didn't feel that way, you know, we weren't going to just say, "Oh, well, it's who's who's a hot one today? It's 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 Michael. What's his face? Bendis guy. You know, who cares? Yeah. I don't care who you are. You're not going to screw with Spider Man, right? Well, I don't. Not on my watch, anyway. Nowadays, I don't know. And and I and agree with you. Like I said, the the position of a comic writer artist. Is I mean it, it is kind of it is special and it's part of it. The reason is because there's so many people who want to be where you are. So many of your readers wish they could be the writer, wish they could be an artist. It sort of kind of reminds me of like an athlete. When you see an athlete half-assed on the field, like who's, being, who's a pro, you're like, how many people wish they could be in your spot and you know to have the opportunity that you do, and you're gonna waste it. You're gonna just make a joke of it. As, as someone who's a fan. I honestly feel insulted when someone does that because I wish I could do what you could do, that kind of thing. Yeah, and if you're so good that you can, like, get away with sloughing off a little bit, well, you know, good for you, but I'd rather not watch. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I agree with you 100% no, well, on your Hussein philosophy. Hussein Bolt lost me. I thought hey, well, that was the greatest thing that ever happened, Hussein Bolt. Yeah. And one time he was winning a race by so much that toward the end he just kind of trots the last, you know, 10, 15 yards. Yeah. And he could have he could have set an all time world record that might hmm. never have been broken. But he said, eh, he looks over his shoulders, no one near him. That's trots. You yeah, know, I, I thought I, that that's a kind of arrogance and and disdain for you and me watching this thing, right? That, that I I don't like, you know. And maybe it's just me. I, 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 I agree. I think the, for me, the one that always caught my mind there was in basketball, you know, Allen Iverson. Yeah. When he was asked why he doesn't try out, he goes, "It's just practice. Who cares? It's practice." I'm like, dude. So many people <laughs> wish they could be in that practice and try, and there's a lot of people going to your games. You're going to half-ass your practice. <laughs> How like, many million dollars do we have to pay you to right. go? To practice? <laughs> yeah. Right, that, that's the one that caught me. I think for asking, I just thought, Jesus Christ, man, you, you don't get it. <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, he was really good, but yeah. you know what? He could have been better. That's what that's that's what the message is there. Right. I wanted everybody to give it their all. Right there. That's why you have guys like Michael Jordan who had the talent and had the dedication, and that's why they are always going to be remembered as the best there ever was. Or Walt Simonson, or Frank Miller, right. or, or Claremont, or, or, you know, lots of the guys I had. You know, they, 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 they Walt never gave you less than his best. Exactly. You no, know, David Lapham was like that. He, Don Perlin was like that. I mean, they, they weren't there to, you know, uh, fool around. They, 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 they did it the best. They understood the responsibility and the honor, and they did it. 
And I think that's why fans remember him the way they do. I mean, we I was lucky to be able to talk to Walt Simonson about almost a year ago with yeah. me and uh, Kenrick, who was on the show, and John. It's a hell of an experience. I mean, these are people you never forget. You know, you talk to yeah. and you remember their work. And I will bother you about um, some questions with Beta Ray Bill because I, I, it's one of my favorite characters. I'm going to bother you about that. But before no I do, uh, before I do get to that point, I do um, want to talk about something else that you were very in, um, instrumental in bringing to Marvel, the mega crossover event comic book, yeah. which, which for you was Secret Wars. So how did yeah, that, that come about? The, that was the first one, as far as I know. I mean, there had been crossovers before, of course. But sort of a company-wide crossover, the mega crossover. Well, we did Secret Wars. Nobody had done anything quite like that before. And, you know, and then because it sold so well, then from that point on, every company did it, you know, all the time, usually in the summer. But, you know, I, I, we, we didn't set out to change comic book marketing. You know, we, well, I set out, I thought this is going to be a big story. It's going to have a lot of characters in it. You know, I, I, I've got to make it, make it work, make, make it as good as I can make it. That's all we were focused on is, is like, tell this, it, it's going to take a lot of issues to tell this story. Let's make sure they all work together. Let's make sure it makes sense. Let's fit it in continuity. That's the thing. Other, other companies, as, as far as I know, no one else ever att attempted to put it in continuity. It's too hard. Mm. They just like took a bunch of characters, put them off on the side entirely separate story you know i mean even crisis where it was supposed to sort of remake the dc universe well some some people had enough clout to opt out and just said no you know and just yeah. kept doing their thing and other people as soon as it was done they went right back to what they were doing a lot of the stuff was forgotten instantly and yeah you know, there was some fun stuff in crisis but but it wasn't it wasn't what it was supposed to be it was a giant crossover I'm sure many people enjoy it, lots of fun, but, you know, it, it, no one quite did it like us. I mean, it, it took a lot of effort by a lot of people, you know, to, to make that happen. They understand, all right, something's going to happen to your character. It, it, it's going to happen between your December issue and your January issue. Mm. It's going to be a longer time than one month in there. It's, it's going to be a, a longer time. So you've got to deal with the fact your character's been away for a while didn't say exactly how long and he's going to come back different and we had to work out all the differences up front so that the guy who had his character had spider-man wind up in central park everybody had to have their character get to central park i didn't care how the guy who had spider-man had to get spider-man to central park in december in january he comes back with a black costume mm. you know and and he's had a lot of experiences and and his his perspective on everything is different so that took a lot of adjustment. I mean, it took work for me, but it took a lot of adjustment on the part of the guy who's writing Spider-Man or Fantastic Four or whatever. So, you know, I mean, it was big. It was a crossover, not only of of the characters and a, and a story that, that put them all together. It was a, it was a crossover of creators. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a real, I don't know, uh, I... I can't even think of a word for it. It was, but it was, there was, there was so much work that people never really know about. <laughs> I, I think the phrase I've heard often is a jam session. <laughs> well, it, yeah, well, that's a little bit different. You know, jam session, you know, a bunch of guys playing their own tune. But, mm. but this was, this, you had, we had to work together intricately and, mm. and, and make sure it all, you know, fit. Because I didn't, I wasn't going to, 
just say, oh, well, screw Marvel continuity. I'm just going to do this story. No, mm. I don't do that. So Secret Wars proved so successful that, and obviously it had such an impact on the industry as a whole, that basically nowadays over the last 20, 30 years, there's been an event just basically every single year. Was the yeah. intent with Secret Wars to get to the point where events would happen every year? Well, I mean, Secret Wars 2, I mean, obviously you have something great like that. You, you're going to, you want to do a sequel at some point. Mm. I, I finished Secret Wars 1 and it was so successful that, you know, I'm sitting in a meeting with the president of the company and he's congratulating me on, you know, he's, how great it was and how, he didn't read it, but I mean, how great the success was. And, and he says, so what, when does the first issue of the sequel come out? I said, well, I'm going to take a few months off, you know, I'll start on it sometime in June. He says, no, I want those revenues this year. Oh, wow. So anyway, once more onto the breach, you know, I mean, I, I got right on it. And, and so we, we did the second one. I did the second one, you know, I mean, I, I had lots of ideas for it. It wasn't like, oh God, now I've got to think up a sequel. No, I, I was raring to go on it. I just was tired. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and I, I also, I, I thought, I said, all right, I'm going to do it, but it's going to be different. We're not going to do it the same way. I never want to just keep doing the, the same, mm. same thing. So I invented the branching thing. Story takes place in Secret Wars. It's contemporaneous. It's not between months. Story takes place in Secret Wars. The characters involved in each particular issue, Power Man, the X-Men, whoever, in their own books that month, the story, tendrils of the story continue. Okay. And, and that, that would prove to be tremendously successful. Not only did Secret Wars 2 sell almost as well as Secret Wars 1, but every book that Secret Wars crossed into, like if Power Man you know, had a, an adventure, I think first or second issue, I don't know, that month his book had a, a little bit of a continuation of what, what had gone on in, in Secret Wars. Mm. Sales tripled on that book. Nice. Tripled. <laughs> on the on the lower books, it would triple or more. On the mid-range books, it would double. On the X-Men, it would go up about 50%. So, you know, I mean, like it it had the residual impact. It did it, it and then guess what? A lot of people who never read Power Man, they bought it because there was a Secret Wars tie-in. Mm. And then they stuck with it. Not only did the sales go up, but they didn't go all the way back down. They they stayed higher. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was good. So then at that point, when we started doing, now remember, books are solicited well in advance of on sale. So months before Secret Wars 1 came out, everybody in comics, including DC, knew what we were doing. You know, that was all going to uh, tie into other issues. So right in the middle of the first crisis, they started doing it too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I thought, oh, well, it must be a good idea. Everybody likes it. Uh, <laughs> And then each time I did a crossover, I did, I did, you know, Unity at Valiant. I tried to do it differently. Unity was entirely within the, the regular books, except there were two giveaway comics at either end, uh, Unity Zero and Unity One. So the, 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 well, the main question I always have about a, a Ben comic book like that, that has so many characters, is how do you keep or how do you not lose the characters within the event you know what i'm saying i mean it, it's so many of them there's so many so much action going on around them 
is it it must be so easy to lose the characters within the story that's why you hire a good writer <laughs> no seriously i mean okay. like, it's work you have to hire the good writer and you have to make sure that he cares about all these characters and you know i mean like they're they're, they're sure there's lots of better writers than me but i don't think anybody was willing to work as hard <laughs> as I did on Secret Wars to make sure I got every character in there and they were there for a reason. And, 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 and it, 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 you know, they, it was worth it. You know, it's, it's, it, it's hard. I mean, I, I went through, I had things taped up all over the walls and notepads and keeping track of everybody. And OPS, it was a little bit easier. And one of the reasons I did Secret Wars, I wrote it, is because... I was the editor-in-chief. I'm the ultimate arbiter of the characters. I get to say what Spider-Man is like. Not you. <laughs> Me. So, so just, you know, behave yourself there, Claremont. I get to say what the X-Men are. No, I wasn't a bozo about it. I never, you know, went to Chris and say, well, you have to do this. You have to do that. I mean, I let him fly as much as I could. And then every once in a while, I'd say, hey, Chris, you know, the, the, I don't think this works for Storm or somebody. And, uh, and we, you know, of course, he'd always argue with me. And then, then Louise would say, oh, Chris, listen to him. And he'd say, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but anyway, no, I mean, like, I was the arbiter of the character. So, so I, you know, I, I would theoretically, I was the guy who, who knew how to do them right. Mm. And I, and it, but, but like I said, it wasn't a puzzle about it. I go to Chris and I'd say, Chris, how do you think Colossus would react in this situation? This is what I think. And he, he, and he would say, well, I think he would do this. Oh, okay, that's a good idea. It fits with, you know, my general concept of the character, and that's what Chris would do. Fine. You know, at this, so we, I mean, I tried to be as collegial about it as I could. When somebody just wanted to do something just completely wrong, I've like uh, one writer one time, he, he wanted to do a story. Uh, his editor got tired of arguing with him and sent him to me. And what the guy wanted to do was a Spider-Man story where Spider-Man, Peter Parker, fathers an illegitimate child. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and I said, no. And he said, well, you're, you're restricting my creative freedom. I said, yeah, and I'll do it a thousand times in a row, pal. You know, yeah. I, said, I said, don't you understand? We have this license all over the world and every contract that we sign has a clause in it that says we won't do that. <laughs> Not that specifically, but anything, you know, that's, that's you know... I mean, can you imagine the president of union on this slow news day? So in, in, the, in the local newspaper, it gets a headline that, you know, Spider-Man is fathering an illegitimate child. President yeah. of union underwear uh, wakes up, reads that. That's it. No more underoos. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I, I told the guy, I said, look, I said, if it's a good story, I said, go do it for Epic Comics. Call him something different. Arachnid man or something. I don't care. Yeah. You know, but do do your story. Oh, I'm fine with it. And you'll own it. Do it for Epic Comics. You know, that's our more adult stuff. And and mm. you, but you don't don't. It's just like when you're at Disney. They're not going to let you mess with a mouse. You know. Yeah. And and that's like that's some people say. Oh well, that's you know restrictive and stuff. I don't know. When Walt was there, it was it was they did a lot of good stuff. I think that you know. No one's telling you to do formula. Just, just don't damage my franchises. <laughs> my franchise, my, the franchises I was responsible for. Right, right. And it sounds lazy too. I mean, I, I guess you're trying to make an interest by making him a uh, deadbeat dad, but 
that's kind of lazy. I mean, you have just enough so much with that character that you don't need to do something radical to make him interesting. He's interesting because he's Spider Man and yeah, Peter and Parker. That's, that's right. I mean, I think that so many of these guys, they, 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 they I don't know why, but they, they can't think of anything to do with the character unless they, you know, change it to a different character. Mm. And, and the Spider Man, the Peter Parker Spider Man I know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't father a legitimate child. You know, I mean, how, why? Why do I think that? Well, here's why. Stan used to always, you know, he, he Stan spoke in sound bites because he did so many interviews. It, he just ended up saying the same thing again and again. And so he just simplified it, you know, it made good, like, little snippets of copy. So he would say, for instance, the Marvel characters, Marvel heroes are heroes with problems, which was a good tagline for the newspaper, mm. right? Well, I had a talk with him one time, and I said, I don't think that's quite right. And we talked about it, and I, I, he, said, he said, what do you think? And I said, I said, it's heroes with lives. And he said, yes. He said, but, you know, it's hard to explain. <laughs> 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 Try telling that to the Daily News, you know. And, and so it was, it was kind of the same thing. It's like he would, he would uh, one time we went to a pitch meeting to sell it. He asked me to go with him. Okay, sure. So we went to sell an animated series, the one on the networks. I don't know. And, and, and he was, they were asking him to explain Spider-Man and Spider-Man, he was talking all about, you know, Spider-Man felt guilty about his uncle Ben's death and, and so forth. And, and then, be, you know, that, that's why he, you know, he, he became a hero. And he asked me if I had anything to add. And I said, well, I said, I said, you and I have talked about this, you know, uh, privately. I said, I said, well, I'll throw this in. I said, yeah, he feels guilty about Uncle Ben, but he, but he, what, he, he, guilty, if you, if you, if you fail to do something and you feel bad about it, that's guilty. He did that once. Okay. And then responsibility is if you stay up all night and finish the job. Mm. And so the key to Spider-Man is not guilt. It's responsibility. Mm. He was born from the guilt. He's the most responsible guy. He, he wants to go, um, uh, to the party where Liz Thompson is and all his buddies, but he can't because Dr. Octopus is causing trouble, mm. you know? So he's responsible. He, he, he would like to do a lot of things, but he has to make sure Aunt May is taken care of. Is that, am I showing you how old I am? <laughs> right. No, I mean, it, it, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, if Spider-Man follows an Ill illegitimate child, it, it, in many ways, no matter what Spider-Man does after that, there's always going to be that stain of screwing up this one thing in this one individual's life, potentially forever, that can never be repaired with, no matter how good you make him after that. Yeah, it's another, it's another Uncle Ben-sized incident, and, and it, it, it was contrary to the nature of Spider-Man, you know? I mean, it's like in the Phoenix saga, originally Phoenix was going to end up remaining a villain. And, and, you know, so I'm reading this story. The Chris, that was the story we started out with. Chris needed a story. And I said, you know, Chris, we've got a lot of bad guys who became good guys. I said, we never had a good guy go bad and stay that way. Mm. He said, don't say another word. I got it. <laughs> yeah. He wanted it to all to be his. He didn't, he doesn't, you know, he, he wanted it all to be him. Right. And so I gave him that little tidbit. 
And and so he goes off and writes this, and, and Phoenix was going to become like the Doctor Doom for the X-Men. And, uh, and they needed one, because he was making uh, Magneto into a good guy. But at any rate, so she's, what, she blows up a starship, that she destroys an entire planet, mm. you know, of these, you know, broccoli-looking people. And you know, and, and, and so I'm th- reading this as, as it's going along. I'm, I I always had to sign the books out. You know, I, I, I get involved when some, sometimes, earlier on. But generally speaking, if I had a really good editor and good people, and I'd, I'd I'd only read it just before it went to the printer. So, and I'd have to sign off, and then it would go. I was the last signature. So, so I remember I'm reading one of these books, and she's blowing up a starship and destroying a planet. And wow, okay, <laughs> that's that's pretty serious. You know, she's yeah. A, so I went to the editor. I think it was Jim Salakrup, and I said, "Show me, show me what you got in progress." And he had a couple issues that were partly done, and he had the plot for the last issue. So I read these, and I read the plot for the last issue, and Claremont and Byrne wimped out. And instead of having her become a villain or, or, or you know, you know, escape and, and be a bad guy or something, no. He had the Shi'ar, they capture her somehow, and they, they, they do the, they fix her mind. You know, oh yeah, well this her her brain's messed up. We'll we'll fix it. You know, what? Yeah. And then she goes home with the X Men and hangs around in you know Westchester with them, and you know has lunch and goes to parties. And I, I go, whoa, 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 whoa! This 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 woman killed billions of you know sapient beings. Mm. What do you mean? She goes. She gets off. You know. You what? Well, you all we took the German army away from Hitler. You can go live on Long Island. <laughs> Yeah. No, I, I even if your even if your mind is warped, even if you have some, you know, dysfunction, guess what? You just don't skate. There's still yeah. you know, there there's still you're still responsible there. And and um, you know, you're not it's not you don't just walk away from that. And I and he says, Well, what do you want me to do? And I said, Well, I don't know. How about she goes to galactic prisoners? Mm. And he said, I don't like that. You know, the X-Men would just keep trying to rescue. I said, well, I'm not sure about that, pal. But, you know, okay, you come up with something. Hmm. And so he comes in the next day and says, well, I'm going to kill her. Okay, I'm going to kill her. Fine. Good deal. Do it. And he's like, well, what do you mean you can't kill her? I said, I'm not killing her. <laughs> killing her. I just said so. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I told him, I said, Chris, it's not about, you know, morals. And, and it's not about, you know, a we're making this into a morality place. I said, it's about a good ending for a story that's so powerful up to now. Mm. If you cop out, if you wimp out, you know, and just like, we're going to put everything back the way it was. I said, that is so, you know, that's pathetic. Mm. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, so he grumbled about it and stuff because he, he and Bernie, they loved the character so much. It is that they just couldn't bring themselves to, to, you know, go follow through. So then, you know, and I, and Vern calls me up, says, what are you, are you out of your mind? I said, I said, John, it's a deal. I said, get to work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, but guess what? They knocked it out of the ballpark. Yeah. You, you, I assume you've read that book. Yeah. Okay. I mean, they killed it. It was so good. I mean, they redeemed her at the end and, you know, really beautifully done. Just an amazing piece of work. And to this day, we're here, we are talking about it. But or I am anyway. But but the thing is, like that that was that was the thing. I could not imagine Storm, champion of life, Storm, 
like just kind of comfortably sitting next to the at the lunch table next to Gene Gray, who killed all these. I, I don't. I yeah. couldn't picture. To me, it was a character conflict. It was like that's out of character for her, for Storm. Yeah, and also, you know, it, it's it's just kind of ludicrous in a way that that this woman would just you know be able to cause all that damage. And, oh, she's fine now. Well, maybe yeah. she is, but you just don't walk away from doing something. Right. I mean, it, it would it would put everything in perspective. Like next, the next villain she fights, like this guy's robbing a bank. Yeah, you killed five billion people. Are you really the person to try to stop him? I don't think you're in the right position. <laughs> anyway, I mean, the thing is, like, I I understood exactly. I mean, and you know something, I love this. You know, the one of the reasons they they were going to wimp out is because they cared so passionately about the character. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like it's so funny with these guys. They, they, you know, they're they, you know, they 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 talk about. Well, I, my characters would, and I'm like your characters. All right, <laughs> fine. But you know, I want them to feel that way. Yeah, I want them. And, and you walk down the hall. I will use this example all the time. You walk down the hall, and there's two full-grown adult people arguing at the top of their lungs about who's stronger, Colossus or Spider-Man. <laughs> you it's know, and on one on one on one hand, you say, you know, I'll grow up. And on the other hand, you say, no, 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 don't care that much right yep so the fact that they originally just had a hard time giving up phoenix to me meant boy these guys are invested you know yeah they they, they care and and look what they did they did brilliant job that that one issue took x-men from high middle to top of the industry where it stayed for 20 years pretty good huh yeah and you know and i I think it's great because that the writers love the characters as much. Or most yeah. the, the good writers love the characters as much as the readers. And I will say one of the coolest things that that I've been able to do in my life, I wrote on Comic Con. I you signed a print of Beta Ray Bill of Thor. I think it's number three thirty seven for me. And I thought yeah. it was really. I also signed a comic book of a uh, uh, first issue of Solar for me as well, which was fantastic of you. I really appreciate oh, thanks. that. Thanks. And Beta Ray Bill for me is. Has always been one of my favorite characters in in Marvel. I mean, if you, if I had to make a top five, Beta Ray Bill makes it to the top five. I would love to discuss the the how it came about with you and Walt Simonson a little bit. So, how, how did you? Help?